This episode of Repod is brought to you by SEO Orb, Buzzshot, Escape from Mebo Island, and Patreon supporters like you. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest is Brian Corbett, owner of the 60 Out Escape Room location in downtown Los Angeles. Brian has years of experience in the haunt world. He's won two Golden Lock Awards from Room Escape Artist for his escape room designs, and he's best known for co-creating the hilarious and raunchy Ms. Jezebel. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me. Brian is one of my good friends, and he's part of my escape room team. So I'm so excited to finally get you on here, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This has been a long time coming, and just kind of a note for listeners, there's a really good chance that this episode is going to be a lot more explicit than normal. Part of that is Brian, part of that is Miss Jezebel. So if that's a thing that concerns you, turn back now and maybe catch the next episode. (laughs) 18 plus only episode. Warning, dildos ahead. Can I say that now, now that you've said the disclaimer? <laughs> you just you just unleashed the torrent. Now it's all just dick jokes from here. <laughs> all right. So, Brian, since the early years of Room Escape Artist, we've been preaching that creators should lean into their strengths, their unique expertise, their quirks. And I'm not sure that I can think of an escape room creator that better embodies that than you. Your games aren't huge. They aren't built on massive budgets. What they are is uniquely your own. And that's what we're really going to be exploring today is the way that you go about making games to make something that anyone who plays it knows that this had to come from your crazy mind. Absolutely. I 100% agree that the beauty of the escape room industry is that you really do get to see the owner and their games. Why don't we talk a little bit about what makes Miss Jezebel unique? Miss Jezebel is, first of all, it's 18 plus. Yes. Yes, it was 18 plus. That that wasn't necessarily something that we aimed for in the beginning, but it just had to end up that way. It's a raunchy, rollicking good time. There's a lot of explicit content in there, but in a kind of silly 13-year-old tee-hee-hee humor kind of way. There is a live actor in there, and so there is a lot of interaction, and it, it's kind of like... I get the same feeling as I get when I go to like a drag show. You know what I mean? There's someone there, they're they're making witty jokes. It's funny. Like you'll probably get laughed at and poked fun of, but it's really uh, fun and exhilarating. And that's definitely something that we wanted to accomplish with Jezebel. It was really exploring the comedy aspects of what an escape room could be. And I think a lot of escape rooms are missing that humor element. I completely agree with that. I have long been saying I want more comedy. I want more laughs. I don't need every game to be so self-serious and have to save the world. Sometimes just being ridiculous is its own reward. Yesterday, I tested Brian's overhaul of Galaxy's Quest, which, by the way, was my very first escape room ever. When Back when it was called Pandora's, I think. Yes, that is correct. It was one of the few games where, you know, and there's videos that play throughout the game. And these videos were so funny and entertaining that I stopped 
everything and ran over to watch them the minute they came on because they're funny and entertaining. And that's definitely something that we're trying to accomplish with the Galaxy Quest Volume 2. We did originally have ideas for trying to implement an actor inside that room as well, but unfortunately those plans fell through when it, the, the realization that having an actor in that sort of character for an hour ahead of time in a, a very heavy silicone mask in a COVID environment might not have been the best step right now. But possibly in the future. Possibly in the future. We definitely do want to get back more into immersive theater where the actors really shine. Yeah, Miss Jezebel is really kind of a mix of immersive theater and escape room. Like it is very interaction heavy. And that's really set a unique tone in the escape room. I, I don't feel that we've ever come across any other escape rooms before Jezebel that really took the actor to heart as a living, breathing part of the game. I've seen it, but definitely not in this way. And not with this level of intimacy is both the right and the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> little, little too intimate. <laughs> so how did this game come about. It has this dark, outlandish comedy to it. Was this the plan? Did it stumble into this? How did you end up with this game? I think in uh, like 2016, I had just taken over the business from the original owners, which were Countdown. And at that point, I was just trying to redesign everything and come up with fun things to do. And it was really just an April Fool's Day joke. Myself and my ex-general manager were sitting around pitching ideas and trying to come up with things and stuff like that. And I wanted something just like an April Fool's Day joke that we could book is the scariest experience you'll ever do. And it was just to troll people. That's literally the whole point of it. The original show actually had three actors in the room. And it was only meant for one day showing. It was given away for free. We weren't charging for that one. We just really wanted to have fun with the community and sort of create like an environment that would be fun for everyone involved. That being said, a few years later down the line, we started exploring more Jezebel, more immersive theater elements, more things that we could do. And then we finally ended up with a team that pulled together. We had to cut, obviously, the actors, and we actually had to repurpose the actor into multiple roles to make it business viable. But we finally came out with the final product of Miss Jezebel's Tea Party. When you released Jezebel, were you worried about how people were going to react to this game and to the direction that it was taken? So when we initially released it, we came under a lot of flack from the franchise that I belong to, which is 60 Out. They are definitely a very family-friendly franchise, and they had reservations about me producing a adult-themed experience. I sort of sidestepped a lot of their concerns by giving them a watered down version of the experience and then just doing a lot of changes after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> I want to reiterate to our listeners who haven't played this game. I mean, it's explicit, but it's not like it's sexually explicit content. It's more like... It's a lot of double entendres that are very on the nose and a lot of dildos. <laughs> It's just a lot of penis envy all over the place. Yeah, lots of dick <laughs> jokes. <laughs> that brings me to a different question, which is 60 Out is a behemoth in the LA escape room scene. And you joined into the larger organization, but you've always seemed to retain some amount of creative control and kept a distinct style from the rest of 60 Out. You've already alluded to some of the backstory here, but I'm kind of curious how you've gone about doing that and how they have been in terms of like being a partner in that regard. 
The franchisees, Ilya and Sergei, they're actually really nice guys that are very passionate about producing great quality content. And they have taken efforts in the past to ensure that the 60 out franchise is being properly taken care of, being properly updated and things like that, where we've had conferences with the owners of 60 out, where we all come together and we review issues that might hurt the brand. The clearest example I can give is Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice was a room that was part of 60 Out briefly, and it was not as enjoyable as it could have been, and it was not up to our standards. So we decided as a group that it should not continue, and we shut the game down. With that being said, they are very hands-off with my productions. The only things that we have come to butt heads with were naming different rooms and experiences because their background is marketing and they do fully understand that rooms should be named a certain way to make it approachable for general audiences. And if I go to cult classic or originally like with the Galaxy Quest room, I didn't want to name it the Galaxy Quest room. I wanted to name it Aliens Made Me Do It. And <laughs> that was a little bit too much word for a title that is not necessarily as good for general audiences. And they were absolutely correct. As soon as we changed it to uh, Galaxy Quest, it increased sales by 30%. Wow. Uh, Something like uh, Escape This Room Before the Aliens Probe You is going to decrease sales, probably. Yeah, because <laughs> the original name was Flight of the Pandoras, and that was not getting as many bookings as it could have. I think that makes a lot of sense. I can completely see that effect happening. And it, it's good to have franchisees that will look after things that maybe aren't your strong suits. And that's absolutely true. And that's why I did join a franchise because over the last five years that I've been in this escape room market, I've been witnessing all the smaller escape rooms in the area shutting down. Even some of the big ones like the virus had to shut down, the Starlet Killer. Yeah, those were definitely early LA classics. There's something to be said about the way 60 Out standardizes their rooms. When I had first started doing escape rooms, we would look for stuff, and I wasn't really tuned into the community at all, but we kind of knew that if you played a 60 Out room, there were certain expectations. They were going to have, at the time, what was high-tech rooms. It wasn't a bunch of padlocks and combination lockers. They had a lot of tech in there where like drawers would magically pop open. And this was like amazing back in 2018 or 2017. And so if we were looking for a room to book, we just went on there and like, what haven't we done? And we knew what to expect a certain uh, level when we went in there. So I think that's definitely one of the benefits of joining one of the big franchises. Absolutely. And uh, that was actually one of the stipulations of joining 60 Out was to ensure that my games were upgraded to the point where my original Tiki room, which was called the Tiki Palace, was reduced in its number of standardized locks and upgraded with a lot more tech and such. And of course, me being me, I did go a little bit overboard on that and added a lot more tech than what they actually requested. But overall, I think that's a good push in the right direction. One of the things that I like about your rooms, the way you design is you explore the use of different mechanics. And Tiki Time has a really fun mechanic in regards to the time and how you earn time. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Originally, the story was, you know, you're at a Tiki resort and the volcano is going off and you got to get out before the volcano goes off. Very generic theming, but people are always like, they'd walk in, they'd be like, God, I, I, this place is amazing. It's gorgeous. I wouldn't want to escape from here. What, what, why would I ever want to escape? And that really, you know, got my hamster turning. And <laughs> he basically made me come up with the idea, why, why don't we just make an anti-escape room, a room that we're trying to stay in? 
And that's why I brought the coins, the Tiki time coins, that the more puzzles you solve, the longer you get in the room. That way there is still a little bit of that stress factor of, oh my God, we're running out of time, but it's sort of an opposite take. I haven't played this, but I'm imagining you end up with many more of those moments where like, oh, we're running out of time, or at least your typical team would, because when you find more time, you get to add more time on. So the countdown timer is always a little bit lower. And that is truth, especially with general audience groups. Their timer is going to be right at the edge most of the time as they're trying to get through all the different puzzles. Which is exciting. It, it definitely is exciting. And it also promotes teamwork. It promotes the fact that you need to rely on your team to be getting you that extra time while you can focus on the main storyline puzzles. And I like the idea that you are rewarded for solving puzzles. And I remember that was one of the points you told me about when you wanted to create this. You're like... It always feels like we're penalized. When we finish a room in 20 minutes, it feels like a punishment that now we're out of this beautiful room in 20 minutes. The whole point is I paid for this experience. I want to be in there and enjoy it a little bit longer. So I like being rewarded by solving puzzles. And that's definitely what we're looking to do. I don't like ever getting out of a room in 20 minutes or under 30 minutes. To me, it feels like poor design. And I really just felt like we need to reward those who are actually solving the puzzles and actually doing well. It's the better you do, the more of an experience you should have. I want my money's worth. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Give me more right? puzzles. <laughs> One of the earlier games that we played with you was Pandorus, which was renamed Flight of the Pandorus, which was then renamed Galaxy Quest. And all of this is indicative of the way that you are constantly improving and iterating on the games that you make. I feel like every time I've ever spoken to you, Pandorus has been iterated on. There's a new version of it. And that seems to be the case with pretty much all of your games until one day they just disappear. It's like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm working on something brand new. What's your approach to iteration? How much of that is the franchise agreement with 60 out? How much of that is you just tinkering with your toys? That's literally just me tinkering with my toys. 60 Out would not care at all if I just left the games as is right now because they're running right now, they're doing fine, they're making money. There's two different mindsets when it comes to the escape room industry. There's the passion and then there's the business. And it's a very fine line to walk both. And for the last five years, I've been walking a lot of passion, <laughs> a lot of passion. I have not been considering business at all in most of my decisions, which is not necessarily the best way to run things. But for me, I want things to be the best that they possibly can. Most other owners will build their rooms and then just let them slowly rot and die. And then they'll go buy a new location and build up new games there at the new location. I have looked into that as well, but I don't really want to do that as much because then I'm going to be spread too thin. One of the things that you do that I have long respected is you realize what you're good at and what you want to manage and do and the stuff that you don't want to manage and you don't want to do. And I think there's a lot of the escape room business that is just business and operations and branding and marketing and SEO and all of that stuff. And the impression I have is that you kind of looked at that and said, I want to create these games and I want to administer these games. And I want to be giving people a good time. I don't want to be running operations constantly. Is my read on that correct? That's an absolute truth. That's actually one of the driving factors as to why I joined 60 Out, because they are the marketing crew. They're going to handle all my marketing, all my booking, my websites, and everything. And I don't have to worry about that as much. 
all I get to focus on is making sure one, my games are up to date, two, my games are flowing nicely and people are enjoying themselves, and three, I can innovate like with the new room that I'm designing right now. That's going to take place in the same exact space as Miss Jezebel at the same time. I'd like to thank our sponsor, SEO Orb. SEO Orb is a digital marketing agency focused on the escape room industry. The owner, Piyush, is a serious escape room fan who understands the nature of the business and can work with you to refine your web presence. He can help you set and meet your search engine optimization as well as your marketing goals. David, do you know how I could tell that Piyush is a marketing genius? How's that, PG? At Recon, our digital escape room convention, he had a really, really cool profile photo. And I noticed that more than one person commented on it. It was a moving GIF. Yeah, he absolutely sucked me in with that avatar. People were talking about it all show. It just kept coming up. It really shows the kind of inventiveness that he applies even to small details. We've been saying for many episodes that if you have a need around marketing and SEO that you should get in touch and chat with Piyush. We know a whole bunch of folks had the chance to do it at Recon, but if you haven't, do it. You can learn more at seoorb.com. Details in the show notes. Jezebel was very well known before the pandemic in the LA scene. It was this game that people knew about, they played it, they had strong opinions on, but it was an LA thing. Pandemic happened, and you took this game online. And near as I can tell, it became a sensation in the community. I think that every single creator who made an avatar game that I loved in the last year cited Jezebel as a primary influence. How did you go about taking this physical game and turning it into a virtual version? Honestly, David, that was probably one of the easiest things I've ever done. The show was already written and created. We knew the, all the different story beats. All we needed to do was just adjust some slight moments. There were things that we obviously couldn't do online. So we just had to create variations and slight changes in, in the scripting and everything. But that also opened up many doors for actor interactions, such as the final scene in Jezebel Online between the detective and Jezebel. We couldn't actually do something like that in real life. One of the challenges of creating the Jezebel Online experience was looking at tech that I had never necessarily worked with before. Like, what kind of camera am I going to use? Am I going to use a chest mount, a head mount? Am I going to use a, a gimbal? And there was a, a lot of different challenges that I had to tackle and troubleshoot and figure out what was the best option for me and for my experience. Because obviously with my experience, I can go around with only one hand and solve a lot of the puzzles. It might be a little bit tricky, but with other escape rooms, they definitely need two hands on the avatar to do things like Project Avatar, where he's vaulting around and doing somersaults and flips and stuff. But <laughs> for mine, I can have just a simple iPhone 11 on a gimbal with a microphone attached to it. Super simple, super easy to set up. No problems with the tech there. It was kind of stupid how easy it was. Well, you guys used a gimbal, so you, you had a pretty stable image, which not everybody did. You know what I thought was really a smart decision on your part was to create another character. You created a new character, the detective, who are our eyes and ears as players. You don't have this 
in the regular game. And I think you guys were one of the first Avatar games to have two hosts. So there's the actor in the room, and then you, as our eyes and ears, are also interacting with the actor. So, and, and I think that's what really made it stand out, especially in the beginning. My biggest joy when I was playing your game was basically forcing you to do stuff that you as the detective didn't want to do. I'd be like, go look in that drawer. You're like, I don't want to look in that drawer. <laughs> like, I don't want to go in there. And I'm like, do it. And you're like, ah, fine. It, it was just so fun and so funny. And the other thing I like is that you will say the witty lines for us, right? So a lot of times, one of the problems with interacting with the avatar, especially when you're from home, is you get teams that are shy or don't know what to say. So having you there to say something when nobody will helps lubricate the social interaction and then eventually I would see because I've watched a lot of these games run and the groups loosen up and then they start to have fun when they see the type of responses that you're saying it's like okay now we know what we can get away with saying I will say that that was absolute torture for me (laughs) when I would have a group that was afraid to say anything and it would just be that awkward silence moment of say something mother you know (laughs) say something so that we can so i can say something otherwise i'm just gonna say my go-to line i want you guys to be involved but come on guys work with me here as a player when my team doesn't dive in and participate that silence is like nails on the chalkboard of my soul uh just like okay no one else is talking i'm gonna talk now because i cannot have that silence i cannot have this awkwardness it has to stop brian was pretty good about teasing it out of them because i would hear you and you'd be like well what do you think guys what should i say what should i tell her and then if there's silence and then your next step is to offer a suggestion and so you're still kind of giving them some sense that they are controlling this interaction there definitely needed to be some structure in their dialogue for players that were a little bit more shy and less willing to participate as easily. And there were definitely some groups that I literally had to prod along and start cussing at them and be like, what the F guys, you left me hanging there. What the hell? You guys really (laughs) need to start helping me out a little bit more because I'm not going to die here in this goddamn apartment. There are multiple people who play all of these roles in Miss Jezebel, you being one of them. How many people are playing the role of Jezebel and the detective, and how different is the experience with each performer? Well, there's definitely going to be some actors that are wittier than others, quicker than others, or whatnot, which is fine. But there's other actors that do feel a little bit more stable, a little bit more on point. My detective role is meant to be the straight man, quote unquote, the straight character that you can make fun of, that you can force him to do humiliating things, and he's going to be upset about it the whole time. But that's where the comedy is. Normally in your real life games, you have several different actors that play Jezebel, including yourself, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we love the fact that Jezebel is not just one flavor. If you really wanted, you could see a very different Jezebel, depending on what time of day you go to see the show. Would you say it's a completely different experience each time or? It's not necessarily a completely different experience. At one point, we were actually trying to plan unique experiences for each Jezebel actor. But unfortunately, quarantine came along and messed everything up. But back in the day, we had, you know, the white trash Jezebel, who was this girl that would come in and start screaming about this is not a friggin Denny's and all kinds of stuff and she's very you know Tennessee accent and then there was the Baroness Jezebel who was a short little girl Cheyenne in fact was her name and she was not afraid to tell men to you need to sit down and shut the fuck up what about your Jezebel 
my Jezebel is a, a six foot two granny Jezebel that likes hitting on the guys and making everyone extremely uncomfortable with very extreme fits of insanity. <laughs> Brian in a granny mask is terrifying. Well, this is a good segue. You worked for more than a decade as a scare actor. What's the most important thing about scare acting that outsiders wouldn't be able to intuit? Before we get into that, a scare actor is basically those actors that you get at haunts, haunted houses, those haunted mazes, right? The guys that either jump out at you or roam around just being creepy and scary. Absolutely. In my opinion, what I believe is the most important thing when it comes to scare acting is innovation and creativity. The moment you start doing what everyone else does, you just blend into the background. It's only times that you bring out new things that nobody else is doing that you'll stand out and really establish yourself as a force of nature. How much creative control and input do individual scare actors have in their costumes, their characters, and what they're doing during the performance? That is up to the management. The management is normally very strict on certain things, such as costumes, masks, scare tactics, scare props, things along those lines. But the more they trust you, the more those restrictions will loosen. Mm. For myself, I was very strictly under control for my first two years of scare acting. My third year, I started to go out a little bit more and started doing a little bit more innovation. And in my fourth year, I really just started letting loose and doing crazy stuff, hooking my body up to an electroshock device so I could go around shocking guests on command from my <laughs> bare flesh. Are you allowed to do that? Absolutely not. But what they don't know... <laughs> doesn't hurt them. So you're just going around <laughs> shocking random guests at these haunts. Oh, absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure. What <laughs> level of shock are we talking about? Is this like static electricity? A severe static shock. It had the potential to slightly hurt. I got 50% of every shock, of course. So I was feeling exactly what they were feeling. The part that hurt the most was whenever I shocked them on the nose. There's a lot of nerves in there. <laughs> god brian you're like in these like death packs with your guests like what is you're like like, it hurts me more than it hurts you okay (laughs) just disclaimer do not try this at home (laughs) none of these actions are endorsed by this podcast (laughs) i'm picturing you walking up to people in like full scare costume and being like boop that's literally what I was doing. I was a steampunk robot vampire, whatever that was, of the necropolis. And I was going up and convincing teenagers that you could build up static electricity by snapping your fingers three times, rubbing your hands together, and then releasing it real quick into each other. And so I would have entire groups of teens sitting around trying to snap their fingers and rubbing their hands together, trying to get the static buildup so they could shock each other. So there's the guys that work inside the maze where you're scaring the people going through the maze. But what you're talking about is like at something like Not Scary Farm, you're just a a strolling actor just coming up to guests and having like random interactions with them. Yeah. By my third year, I was out in the streets. So is that what you preferred? Yeah. Everyone prefers it. That's where all the more talented actors go eventually. They have more freedoms. There's more room to run around. It's a much more entertaining environment to be out in the streets instead of being locked in one tiny little room or something doing the same scare over and over again. 
It sounds like there's a lot of hierarchy and earning your space in this. What is the work culture like at these big haunts during haunt season? Oh, it's high school. It's literally just high school. It's a bunch of cliques. It's a bunch of people that you're trying to be friends with these people because they are friends with these people and so on and so forth so that you might be selected for a better position or a better role. But besides that, the way I compare things is like with Halloween Horror Nights up at Universal, it's a very strict regimented sort of scare acting like this is your scare. This is your costume. This is what you're going to do every single night over and over and over again. Whereas Knott's had a much more laid back feel where it was like, this is your character. This is your role. You know, you can add to it. We can get it approved. We can approve your costumes. We can approve new masks. We can approve new scare props. But realistically, just go have fun, you crazy kids. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Telescape by BuzzShot. Telescape is an advanced inventory system and game creation tool used by escape rooms worldwide. Whether you're creating a live avatar experience or a completely standalone point and click online game, Telescape can help bring your online escape experience to life. This week, we're featuring the games of Immersia outside of Montreal in Canada. They offer their games, The Grand Hotel, Weekend at the Shack, and the Piccadilly Cabaret. All of these games I've played in real life and truly enjoyed. And their virtual version of the Grand Hotel is so much fun. If you have not had a chance to play it in real life and you don't think you're going to be able to, please do yourself a favor and check out what Immersia is doing. We love their stuff so much, we're running a sold out tour to them in October. The folks from Immersia, they're fantastic storytellers, and they really did a beautiful job of integrating their games into Telescape and delivering something special over the internet. You can learn more at telescape.com. Details in the show notes. On the subject of performance, the foundation of your games seems to be your approach to game mastering, which I think seems to also be rooted in your scare actor background and you're very particular about how you game master what's your method and what do you think most escape room companies get wrong about game mastering i absolutely hate when a game master comes over the the microphone in a regular voice and just is like what are you guys working on what 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 do you need a hint on oh no you need to you need to unscrew that and do it over again (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just screw it in again. No, the light's not, not the light's not on. You got to do that. No, that's you know with zero character, zero voice, and you're like, dude, come on, what the hell? I can't disagree. I am heavily influenced because I play with Brian a lot, and so every single time we come out of a game, this is almost always his number one complaint is like that freaking game master just no character, no immersion when giving clues. And if you play any of Brian's rooms, the the game master, the voice of God, is always in character. It's always funny. Sometimes it's annoying, but at least I have a particular feeling about this character. And that's what we try to do. We're just trying to present that illusion and to maintain the immersion. I mean, there's been some amazing games that enthusiasts absolutely adore that I have absolutely hated my experience with because of the game master. I've had similar experiences. I've long felt that game masters make or break a game and I've had really bad games turned into something that was kind of special because the game master was good. And I've had really good games be 
pretty miserable because the game master was less than stellar. The first game that I played of yours was way back in 2016. It was your game Krampus. And I don't know if I've ever had a chance to tell you the full story of what was going on there, but we played that with, it was me and Lisa and my childhood friend who was also working for Lisa at the time. And he's like six, seven. He's this, this giant lumbering dude. And Krampus was a fairly scary game. And my friend was absolutely terrified in Krampus. Uh, I have this very vivid memory of him. He found, I don't know if it was a broom or, or some kind of stick, but I just remember him clutching it, like just absolutely terrified out of his mind. And I loved it. I had so much fun in that game. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think I remember that exact instance because there was the pole that you had to use to fish through the gate to get the wreaths off the wall and drag them back to you. But people absolutely loved using it as a protective weapon. And they were uh, so terrified of that door room hallway that they would sometimes station people out there to watch and make sure nothing came from that area while everyone else was in the back room. <laughs> And it was probably one of the most entertaining things to watch because it's like there's nothing coming out of there, guys. <laughs> but they don't know that. Coming from the East, especially back then and even now, we did not have the volume or intensity of horror games that you guys have in L.A. So it was very much a novelty for us to have a horror experience like that that was also a game and not a haunt. Yes, I, I really wish I could have kept Krampus around, but it was very seasonal. Did great during the Christmas-January time frame, but during the rest of the year, not so much. We are hoping to bring back some of those elements and some of the scares to this new room that we're designing in the same space, but it's going to be a completely new experience. Interesting. So Krampus and Jezebel were, the, were in the same spot. Exactly. Brian, do you want to talk about what you're doing with Miss Jezebel? Well, because I'm limited to my space and I'm not really able to expand as much as other owners have, I need to find ways to maximize the use of my space to the fullest potential. And what I'm looking to do is make the games more modular so that they can be changed out and the same space can be repurposed into a completely different experience with a completely different feel over the course of maybe an hour of just switching things around taking things off the walls, replacing them, having furniture that opens up in different ways, creating barriers that you didn't realize were barriers, really trying to, once again, just be as creative as possible. I thought that was really cool when he was telling me about it because, you know, he was like, this way, one, he can fit in an extra game into his existing space, but also you can give players the option of either they've already played Miss Jezebel or maybe you have a family, right? You have a group that that doesn't want to bring kids in to play an 18 plus game and then they can have the option of choosing to play your new game in there instead. Absolutely. An unusual hallmark of a Brian Corbett game, I don't think you use it in all of your games, but you've used it in a lot of them, is puppetry. And Every time I've seen you do this, I've thought, why don't more people use puppets in escape games? How did this become part of your work? To be honest, a lot of the things that go into my rooms are things that Knott's Berry Farm told me that I wasn't allowed to do. So I was <laughs> like, you know, screw you guys. I'm going to go make my own attraction. 
blackjack and hookers, you know. And for the most part, puppetry was one of those things that it, it's a magical way of doing things. I don't like animatronics. Coming from the haunt industry, I was working at the Circus Circus at the Fright Dome. We worked with many different animatronics over there. And it was just so blah and boring and not realistic in any way, shape, or form that I never want to have animatronics in any of my rooms. I want there to be that life in the creature's life in, in whatever it is. And the first puppet that I actually implemented, I believe, was the Boglin for the Galaxy Quest or the Pandorus game. And that was probably the best idea out of that game, considering that game was not the best at all. But that Boglin really did bring something magical to the game, and people's eyes just lit up when they saw him. And that Boglin, which is the little hand goblin-looking puppet from the 80s, was actually my childhood toy. I've kept it this entire time. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to put you in there, you. And people absolutely adore it. I want to paint a picture for people who are hearing us talk about puppets. And like you're thinking, I don't know, like Sesame Street, maybe a sock puppet. But, well, his puppets are like the dirtier, grungier versions. It's Avenue Q, not Sesame Street. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, our puppets, we didn't want those nice, plush Sesame Street-style puppetry or anything like that. Miss Jezebel's cat, Orion, was actually a haunt prop that I used while I was out in Vegas back in 2014, 2013. And I love just walking around with him and just messing with people because he looks so realistic in the dark with the fog and everything. People are like, is that is that clown walking around with a cat? What the hell? And it was just the most fun interaction that I, I would have with people. And I was like, you know, I definitely want to bring this to Miss Jezebel. And then when it came with the other puppets, it was just really trying to expand the actor's roles into multiple different roles, such as with Gloria. I agree with your take on animatronics. I think that especially in escape rooms, I think animatronics, you know, they have that stiff movement and they can just do the thing that they can do, which I think is fine when you're on a dark ride and you're seeing them for a few seconds. It's maybe even fine in the haunt when you're passing by them and you're not living in the space with them. But in an escape room, when I've seen animatronics, and I always feel bad about it because the owners who use animatronics are always so incredibly proud of them. My feeling is always, this would be cool if I saw this for like three seconds, but you spent tens of thousands of dollars on it. And so you're leaving it in the middle of the room with me. And so I have to see it for an hour doing the same thing. If it starts off as cool, the half-life of that is like 30 seconds. And after being in there with it for like five minutes, it doesn't even register as cool. And that was actually one of the challenges with Jezebel as well with actors inside the room. I was very hesitant putting actors in the room because I did not think an actor could maintain a presence over the course of the entire hour. And that was a, a challenge that we had to overcome, which was how do we have this actor in here all the time coming in and out and stuff like that, or you know, just being around and still maintaining that level of enjoyment for the players. Whereas the same with the animatronics, it's just a dead piece of machinery in the middle of the room or a dead piece of machinery and wherever they have it. And we had to create Miss Jezebel's little hidey hole, something that she could run away to and then come out at different moments with different scenes and such. And a character that goes up to 11. I like how you design the game so that you have super intense moments of interaction with the actor 
but then you also designed it so that there are pockets of peace for the players because you're kind of on guard when the actor's in there. And so giving time where the players can breathe and play amongst themselves and have that respite from the actor, I think is just, it's such a good flow to the game. Like, okay, we've had some time and then, oh, she's back and now we got to interact again. I, I think it was a really smart move to do that. Miss Jezebel, when we first released it back in 2019, the game has changed drastically since then. And I do feel a little bit sad for the enthusiasts that did play the original version of it, that it, it was lacking in more of the puzzly content and such. And even some of the interactions we've added since then that were not part of the original show. In my mind, I feel like the show is flowing so well. Everything works. There's puzzly elements that you can separate from the actor and actually do some escape room-esque puzzles. We're much happier with where it's at now. And I am glad that if anything good came out of the pandemic, it's that it delayed my trip to LA and I'll be able to finally play it in January in person. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I got to cite my sources here. When I worked on the TV show, Create the Escape, I had done this with Juliana and Ariel, who were on the third episode of our first season. We were helping to design escape rooms, basically, that were designed by kids and played by their parents. And from the get-go, I went in and said, well, we have to use puppets. We have to. It is the cheapest way that we can breathe life into these games. It is the perfect interaction for kids. There is just no world where this show should happen without puppets. And fortunately, everybody agreed. And that was entirely inspired by your games. That's awesome to hear. I mean, just bringing up the puppets again, it actually reminded me of where I actually started puppets that I didn't recall before, which was at not Scary Farm once again, but it was only on my third year, I want to say. And the thing about Knott's Berry Farm is there's a lot of stupid stuff that we've done there. And one of them was creating the VIP maze, which was a secret maze that only happened for 15 minutes, one night a season. And we would create all different sorts of themes for it every year. The one year that I created the theme was the sock puppet maze, where all the <laughs> monsters created sock puppet versions of themselves and we're just scaring with sock puppets through this fence. They just put their hands through it. And it was just like people were walking through and going, what the hell is going on? Why are all these sock puppets screaming at me? And it was just a very hilarious interaction. Mr. Hat's horror maze. Yeah, right. <laughs> How did you get into this? Was it only for like VIP guest holders and you would just grab them and like shove them through a secret hole or... No, it was just whoever was around at the right time. It actually started out as a joke with some other monsters where they just got a clipboard and a flashlight and stood in front of an alleyway that literally led nowhere. And they held a sign that said the VIP maze and people would come by and be like, is this, a, is this an attraction? They're like, well, um, l l hold on, are you on the list? Oh, you're not on the list? Okay, um, hmm. I'm sorry, we're gonna have to ask you to come back maybe around like 1.30. And then we might have some openings available. And of course, the park's fucking closing at 1.30. So, <laughs> so they, they, they were just a gag to mess with people. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So all of Brian's best ideas come out of freaking April Fool's jokes. <laughs> like pranks is what I'm hearing. That's literally all it is. I just like messing with people. I'd like to thank our sponsor, 
Escape from Mebo Island by Sherlock in Amsterdam. Escape from Mebo Island is a unique, live, virtual escape room played through a web browser. The impressive technology uses a first-person view and creates an adorable avatar using your own webcam video. It's a ton of fun, and it's fantastic for anyone from families to corporate events. PG, I know you have not had the chance to go and visit Amsterdam and play escape rooms yourself, but I can tell you that Sherlock really are some of the pioneers. They were the first company that I heard about where like, you have to go to Europe, you have to go and play this game. And it was their game, The Vault. They have been doing this for a long time and they've come up with some incredible experiences. They weren't necessarily super puzzle heavy, but I think it was really fun and welcoming for groups. There were a lot of like these cooperative puzzles where everybody gets to feel involved. And I love that. Yeah, that's the experience showing. Mebo Island feels really different from Sherlock's real life games, but the level of quality that we've come to expect from them is totally there. For escape room owners, Sherlock has an affiliate program for Escape from Mebo Island, making it an easy way to get a top tier virtual product into market without investment. For everyone else, if you'd like to give Escape from Mebo Island a try, Repod listeners get a 20% discount using the code MarvinRules. You can learn more at MeboIsland.com. Details and discount code in the show notes. Before you were creating escape rooms and doing all the haunt stuff, you served in the military, which regularly uses a lot of techniques from LARP and immersive gaming to create training. What kinds of influence did military service have on you as a creator? So funny story with all of that. My enlistment date to actually join the military was September 12th, 2001. That's when I was supposed to leave for basic training. And, uh, Everything was delayed. But the reason why I originally wanted to join the military was because they were doing all these great TV specials about laser tag military games. No one was at war. Everything was all fun and games. I was like, you know what? I could go do that. I could be dress up and play some laser tag in the military. Why not? And actually, during my last year in the military, I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana and spent time with the terrorist unit out there, which is the unit that is trained in terrorist tactics and would create real world scenarios over a vast battleground of 300 square miles with towns and villages and roads and everything and even civilians uh, walking around and living in the space. And that was probably one of the most fun things that I've ever done. Even when I moved to Vegas, I was training military once again at Nellis Air Force Base and doing all sorts of fun scenarios and such. One of my favorite was literally They had me be a CIA spook. We were ambushed and my partner was severely hurt through shotgun shells. And he was up in the hotel room just blown to pieces. And I basically went full PTSD mode and was like, screw this, I'm going down and I'm getting drunk. And this was at the station casino, which is an active running casino. So nobody in the casino knows what's going on, except for security, we did have to inform them. But basically, I went down to the bar and they just gave me money and they're like, go get drunk as you can. Go get as drunk as you can. And so I'm sitting at the bar drinking for hours throughout the night. And then the soldiers would, or the um, undercover, because we were working with some special forces units, 
they would come in, they would find my partner, and then they'd basically need to do their own little escape room deduction and find my notes saying, screw this, I'm going to drink, and then have to come down into the casino and find me. And I would be at the bar just drunk as a skunk. I even won two jackpots that night. That was good. Um, <laughs> but then they would have to get me out quietly without alerting anyone else. And some of them came down and did it very well. Some of them came down and were like, hey, man, you partying, man? Yeah, hey, let me buy you a shot. You should come party with us, dude. Come on, man. Let's go party. And that was great. I'd be like, oh, yeah, hey, you're buying me a shot. I'm coming with you guys. Okay. And then there were other guys that just came down they're like, you got five minutes till the bus leaves. And it's like, oh, come on, guys, you know, add a little bit more effort to this. This would be so much more fun if you actually put some real friggin' effort into it. How did they get confirmation that you were the correct target? What if they just start kidnapping people? Okay, so they actually had a file. They were given a file on me because I was a CIA spook. So they had my name, what I look like, what I was last seen dressed in. And we did many scenarios like that, even on Fremont Street. They would have uh, hide-and-seek games on Fremont Street where these special forces units would be dressed in civilian outfits and have to identify people throughout Fremont Street with regular people walking all over the place. So what is coming up next for you, Brian? New games? Any new overhauls? I am trying to plan that new game in the Jezebel space. Originally, we were going with a true crime feel, something along the serial killers. But we're trying to walk a delicate line of what is appropriate versus what isn't. And using real serial killer stories and things like that it has brought up a, a slight issue in my brain, which is, is this really appropriate to be presenting in an entertainment fashion? And that's why I think a lot of other creators and designers never really rely on actual serial killers. So we might be retooling it just slightly. We've just had a meeting this morning with Patrick and Grant, my two employees that helped me brainstorm different ideas. And we're throwing around a lot of different fun ideas. We do want to bring back that sort of fear factor that was Krampus, but we definitely want to bring in new visuals that have never been experienced before in any escape rooms, at least I've ever done. My general rule for use of real life events, especially stuff that involved people being harmed or killed, is if the victims or friends or children of the victims are still alive, it's probably too recent. Yeah, exactly. At one point, we were thinking like, okay, well, we're going to have the, the, the tale of the copycat killer. This copycat killer is basically doing homages to all these real serial killers. And then another point, we were like, let's make the big reveal be your game master was the killer the entire time. <laughs> and like this big thing opens up and it's like a, a nice portrait of your game master doing a buddy Jesus pose at you or something like that. <laughs> and then I was like, that does not fit the theme of real serial killers at all. What have I done? This is not going to work at all. So we just had to go back to the drawing board and scrap a lot of different ideas. Brian, is Miss Jezebel still available to play virtually? It is not at this time. Okay, well, I guess you guys will have to fly out to LA to play this in person now. Where can people find you on social media? Well, they can definitely find us at our main website, 60out.com, of course. But you can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook. And we are developing a TikTok account for personalized Miss Jezebel. And we are, in fact, hoping of creating a secondary TikTok for our newest Galaxy Quest protagonist, the android from the Xenoid Empire. Brian, thank you so much. It's been delightful and hilarious having you on. A quick announcement. The Recon 21 Day 1 videos are all available on the Room Escape Artist YouTube channel. Day 2 content is coming soon. 
and the Q&As are being made available to Recon Pro and VIP ticket holders, as well as our lovely patrons. And on that note, all of this work is possible because of the contributions of our sponsors, patrons, and listeners. If you like what we're doing and you want to see it grow, I'll ask you to do something within your means. If you're financially stable and self-supporting, we'd love to have you become one of our patrons. We offer a ton of different perks, ranging from our lovely Discord channel to more elaborate things like the Spoilers Club. This month, we're playing and discussing Escape from the Maze of the Minotaur by Solvar Shirts. Anne and Chris Lukeman, the creators, were on Season 1, Episode 4 of this podcast. And if backing us on Patreon is something out of reach, we totally get it. Consider dropping us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or sharing an episode with someone that you think will love it. Help us grease the algorithms. There are lots of ways to support our work and we appreciate you no matter how you choose to help us out. And on that note, we're gonna take a moment to thank some of our biggest Patreon supporters. Paula Swan, Rex Miller, Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Byron Delmonico, Scott Olson, and Wesley James. None of this work would have been possible without the support of our incredible community. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to join the ranks of our community of supporters, you can learn more at patreon.com slash room escape artist. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by roomescapeartist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. One of the funniest moments that I've ever had in Jezebel Online was one of our very first groups. It was an enthusiast group based out of Europe, and they were all located in different parts of Europe as well. And there was one lady who had to call in for the distraction, and she was from Scotland, and I loved her so much because she did something that no other players had ever done. Most players would call into our Ms. Jezebel hotline for a good time and talk about different services they could hire Ms. Jezebel for. But this lady, she came on and she was like, Oh, Miss Jezebel, I'm from the Loch Ness Monster Dildo Corporation, and we wanted to reach out to you because we felt that you could possibly be an influencer for our products, and we wanted to go ahead and see if you would be interested in promoting any of them. And she went into this whole little sales pitch, talking about all these different kinds. She's like, oh yes, you you would absolutely adore the Green Nessie. That's a very <laughs> nice sized one. And, and she's just pulling all of these products out of her brain. And it was just, I, I mean, I was like, you know, trying to hold it in the whole time and just be the straight detective and not bust up laughing while I'm listening to her do this. Um, Brian this, has the recording somewhere because I've heard it. It's so good. I, yes, it is Jackie. Jackie and Magritte and Heiner and that, that I, crew. I think oh, I might God, actually how have that. How did you know? How did you know? <laughs> Wait, Brian, you know that that's the name of them? Yes. I can't believe. I'm freaking. David! <laughs> how did you know it was them? I am freaking out. Like, you just. This is blowing my mind. <laughs> Magic.